Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them, to truly claim these prizes. All right, everyone, welcome to the next installment, a a new episode. I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Daniel Ellenberg. So Daniel, I'll give a little intro of you so people uh, know who you are. So Daniel's a a psychologist and the co-founder of Relationships That Work, and he's the founder and director of Strength With Heart uh, and does men's groups and workshops. And he's a principal in Rewire Leadership Institute. Um, So he's a leadership coach, a communication consultant, and a licensed psychotherapist. Does a lot of seminars, a lot of workshops, uh, places like the Esalen Institute, Spirit Rock Meditation Center, the Association of Humanistic Psychology at Stanford, and at NASA, which sounds really cool. Um, you know, he focuses in on mindful relationship, mindful communication, uh, which is near and dear to me. And I was just telling Daniel, there's a fair amount of overlap, I think, in what we look to emphasize and bringing mindfulness uh, to folks here in our society. Uh, and a lot of work around uh, men, masculinity, and uh, how men can truly grow themselves. So, Daniel, super excited to have you joining me. Happy to be here with you, Mitch. So, so hey, Daniel, I'll just, I'll just jump right in. Like, you know, one of the things that I think a lot about in my own work with patients in my private practice and uh, people that I've trained in the past in my giving of my own workshops, you know, there, there seems at times to be a series of obstacles for men particularly in our society, perhaps, to really be able to give mindfulness practice, contemplative practice, a real go. What's your sense of that? I know that's a big topic, but what, what have you learned? Well, I mean, when you think about mindfulness practice, obviously, it is dealing with your mind. And your mind tends to be, shall we say, inside of your body. And of course, your mind extends outside of your body also. So the mind can be seen as both kind of individual and intrapsychic and also interpersonal. Yes. And so to be able to look within and to know oneself, to develop, most people call it self-awareness. I would call it selves-awareness. Yes. It means that you have to be willing to be vulnerable. Because much of life is about vulnerability, because, you know, essentially, when you think about it in Buddhism, old age, disease and death, you know, is is sitting there in the best case scenario. Right. And, And so to recognize one's own vulnerability is to recognize one's humanity. And a lot of guys really learn that on some level, they're not human. Mm. They are all there. They should be uh, unaffected by any stressor. You should be able to metabolize a stressor just like that because you can handle it because you don't have any fear. You don't have any. Yeah, no fear. You're on top of all things. And so 
the male messages that little boys start learning from early on that become consolidated over time are kind of, they run against living a full mindful life. And so it's, it's pretty crazy making about, you know, men and mental health. Maybe men is the first part of mental health, you know, but it, it, it doesn't seem to, to, to follow suit for a lot of guys that they actually learn about themselves. Yeah. You know? and, and so the willingness to introspect and look at what's inside runs counter to the male messages. So it's, it's, a, it's a conundrum. You know, yes. Mildly. Have you have you found any ways that seem to get traction to help men be able to hang in a bit to start to engage it and then you know get what I call the self reinforcement factor from contemplative mindfulness practice? I I reframe it as courage. Mm. I truly believe because it does take courage to be willing to see and look at things we don't necessarily want to see. Yes. You know, and, and so I, I'll look at like, in, in a sense, like, who do you really want to be? Like, what's, what's your vision, you know, of yourself? And most guys will say like, I want to see myself as strong, capable, competent, you know, to some degree in control. Like, and so what is it, what it, how is it working for you, you know, in a certain way? You know, yeah. you know, and, you know, part of it really has to do with with helping guys become aware of more shadowy you know, areas of themselves that they don't feel so confident, they don't feel secure. And that's a higher level than unconscious an unconscious belief in one's capability when underneath it all they they're actually very dubious about that. Yeah. So yeah. You, you, you actually have to have awareness in order to even know that you feel scared. Now fear, yeah. you know, as it, as it turns out, is, is a major part of life because you know, we're always dealing with opportunities and threats and we pay more attention to threats you know, that, than to opportunities. And so when a guy starts becoming increasingly aware about, oh wow, actually that does feel threatening to me. You know, if my life partner is looking at me in a certain way or looking at somebody else, you know, in a certain way, what does that trigger in me? And I'm always, I'm continually encouraging people to be real. And part of it for me is just acknowledging, you know, some of my own vulnerabilities, some of the things that have been challenging for me and, and to recognize that, that those challenges, those difficulties, those vulnerabilities are not who you are. Mm, very important. It's huge, you know, because I think one of the, I don't know if you want to call it a bug in the system or a design flaw, you know, of the human brain mind is that we tend to believe what we think and we tend to identify with what we're experiencing. You know, right. And so yeah. the whole idea of being able to look at something versus from something, you know, is just a core part. And that's what, you know, you're talking about mindfulness, it's like mindfulness to me is a lot about disidentifying. Mm. with different self aspects while also recognizing you know that's a part of me you know like i can say for me there's a part of me that gets angry or is angry. Right. right there's a part of me that feels like what am i doing even on this podcast even though I've <laughs> so many 
so many things in the past, but kind of like, I'm a little kid. What am I doing? Like, so part of me, you know, yeah. that's like that. And and I I can tell you, Mitch, for me, I used to try and hide those parts. Like, I'm I'm a professional, you know, like that. Right. And, and over the years, I kind of like, come on, just I you know, to be you know real about that. And some of that really has to do with developing selves compassion. You know, and I know yeah. that you're connected with Chris Germer. Yeah, as I am, is really just looking at like, hey, we're all vulnerable beings. We have different aspects. Some can be really confident and strong. Others, not so much. And it all is under the rubric of, of your being. I, I think you said a lot in there that I, I could grab on like five different things there. You know, that when you said that you have learned in working with men to be real, to even describe your own vulnerability, you know, I've, I've also found that and as a intentional teaching tool. Um, and it just, it also just feels more, you know, I'm in it more when I'm being authentic that way. So it's more reinforcing for me. It's like a reminder to me of my own humanity, but it's an effective way to help um, everyone. But I think men in particular who have that self story of that they're identified with, um, that I don't have fear, vulnerability is weak. You know, others will walk all over me. I will be ineffective, all of that. But when someone that is clearly in their experience not weak in how they're presenting themselves, they're they're present. They have they're of presence. You know, they have an assertiveness and a confidence to them, and yet they're talking about how they have effed up many times, or they have icky moments of sadness, fear, you know, whatever. It seems to create a dissonance in them and then it helps them kind of stay with it a bit like well if he he's okay with this maybe i can be okay with this yeah i mean i think i i see that in you mitch i, I had an immediate affinity for you as soon as we got on this on this uh call together like you're you striking is quite real you know in yourself and i appreciate that and that actually inspires realness in others you know yeah. if you come on okay, okay i am uh, the podcaster now tell me uh, <laughs> I, you know gee that would be really connecting wouldn't it yeah I, yeah I, I think one of the issues really that underlies lies this is competition mm. uh, uh, superior inferior and so the by the very nature of someone even seeking mindfulness teacher or a therapist or someone who's in authority or something immediately there's a hierarchical difference and, and when you start overlaying the, the kind of competitive nature to some degree of being human and certainly in cultures like the United States which are highly competitive that right. there's some implicit who's better who's worse you know who's going to win who's going to lose it's not necessarily stated explicitly but is somehow in the implicit landscape there. yes you know, and so when someone who's in the quote authority position is willing to kind of get off it, you know, in a way like, hey, you're not, you don't know everything, you're not so in control, you're not perfect, you're not whatever, you want to get off it and be real, there's there's a message, you know, to the others that, oh wow, like I can actually be open. Yes. 
and I've never run a men's group or like all men's workshop. I would imagine that has to be a huge factor that a group of men together having that group psychology and the the modeling and the sharing and the you know we're wired for this kind of community you know aspect. What's that been like leading all these men's workshops? There's a small question. <laughs> yeah, right. Like to ask these small questions, don't you, Mitch? Do yeah. You? <laughs> Um, well, wow, it's always coming kind of interesting, like, where do you, where do you enter uh, a story there? And so I'm, I'm thinking about, for me, how much I've wanted male community since I was young. I had male mm -hmm. friends, we played sports together, and, you know, go trampling around streams and look for frogs and, you know, and whatnot. So there's a sense of, of male community has always been very important to me. And you know that when somebody is uppity about it, like, hey, I'm, I'm the strongest here. I know what's going on. You know, there's a way you kind of can feel both intimidated by it and also disgusted. Yes. You know, in, in some ways. And so I, I really try to, you know, live my life where I think about connection first and superiority second. Yep. And so I touch to see it through the lens. Like, am I trying to, look like nice and sheeny and you know, all together and everything or am i really focused on creating connection and so yeah. that's been my you know a primary lens and 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 i'm really looking in terms of my own vision of how guys can be about being more intimate and i know a lot of times the word intimate is used synonymously with the word sexual i don't you know right. i think about intimacy as the phonetic phonetic of into me see you know, oh, I like that. Others to see into. And so I try to create an environment where people feel safe enough, you know, to you know, let themselves be seen. Beauty warts and all. I actually thought about that as a title, you know, beauty warts and all. Love you know? it. And so I, I try to, you know, model all of those and not to be self-deprecating just for that sake, but to acknowledge that, hey, I've had a lot of my own trauma you know, in life, and I've worked really hard in my own healing process. I'm, I feel like I'm a guide on the path. I'm, I'm not saying I'm on the top of the mountain. I don't present myself as a master. Right. So, you know, I've, I've been on the mountain for a while. You know, I've, I've done some climbing. I, I see certain things that may be helpful. Right. You know, you. And, you know, sometimes people bring up things and they become the teachers. You know, I, like, I look at my men's groups and I've been, I'm in my 38th year you know, of leading men, weekly men's groups. And wow. If mastery were 10,000 hours, which I doubt, frankly. <laughs> I you can do 10,000 hours of unskillful stuff. That's you know, many... <laughs> And it turns out many people do. <laughs> right, right. I, I've certainly done some of that. You know, so it's, it's really about uh, presenting a model to how I want men to be together, you know, which is to be open you know, with each other. I mean, I, I know I have some very close male friends and some of you, some of them, you know, you know, actually I, I don't try to present myself as some model of whatever. And I think people like people who they can relate to, you know, and are right. human and they're not perfect or trying to be perfect. Yeah. And it, it, it's, uh, it's cool to see that 
uh, people like uh, uh, industrial organizational psychologist uh, Adam Grant, uh, you know, and has this, you know done some of the research and cites others doing the research around you know his his book you know, Givers and you know, Give and Take, yeah. and that you know people in the corporate world who have assumed they have to be takers, they have to you know men in particular right, and you know many women have to be very dominant and aggressive and take but that there's a growing body of research that if you're a giving individual willing to acknowledge vulnerability and error, you know, that uh, people actually can resonate to that, you know, with the caveat. And I, I, when I was reading the book, right. if there, if you are bringing competence, yeah, if you're befuddled and like, you know, there's no competence in you and then you're just acknowledging that, that doesn't have the same effect. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also when you're, you know, revealing you know, certain parts of yourself, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yes. So to speak, because, you know, it, if you think about vulnerability as something that to some degree, you, you think about the nature of the relationship, the context of it, the timing of it. It's not something that, hey, I, I just met you. Let me tell you about all my wounds. Right. And, and it becomes strangely narcissistic, you know, to be self-revelatory. So I, I think that there's something about, you know, the nature of the relation, the purpose of the expression. Like, why am I saying this? Right. And I, I can tell you for me as someone who's been a real outlier when it comes to bringing up, you know, difficult conversations, you know, for, for quite a long time, I actually say less now. Than I used mm -hmm. to. I, I was actually I was actually leading a workshop with Chris Germer, and he shared an acronym with me some years ago that I I used with many people over the years, and the acronym is WAIT. And yes. Why am I talking? Yes, you know? I love that one. I use it as well, <laughs> <laughs> and and I've I've done my own little addition to it, which. There, somebody else is probably doing this as well. There's nothing really new, you know, out there. But you know, Chris is where I heard this first. I think, why, why am I talking? Or whose agenda is this? Am I pushing my agenda, or is there like a we agenda, or am I going to focus on that other person? So anything where you're just intentionally pausing, you know, is super helpful in terms of communication in general. You know. Uh I'll tell you a couple that came out of there from my channel, like someone said, well, mine is Waint, which stands for why am I not talking? <laughs> someone who didn't, who didn't speak up very much. Yeah. You know? Someone said, why, why waste, which is why am I still talking? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then someone uh, put a Y for the I and said, why are you talking? And why <laughs> you really have fun with that kind of stuff. It, it reminds me, Daniel, of, uh, you know, when I've been in front of a bunch of people over time, talk, you, know, you know, clinicians, I've spoken to a lot of clinicians over the years and asking them how much in their training they had, an, an, you know, a real focus on the timing of their interventions, like when to intervene. You know, if people were being honest, very few hands went up. You know, there's there's a lot of focus on what, um, you know, what to do, and that's important. But when to do, 
my my bias, my sense is the best way to train the when is slowing down, mindful awareness, you know, compassion and awareness. And there's a sense of when that rises up in that, when to talk, when not to talk. Right, right, right. I agree. And and also, why why are you talking? You know, as as the practitioner, like, is what's your agenda? I mean, one of the things I've noticed with myself and having worked with people for a lot of years is that I get so little resistance these days, you know, in my practice versus the incredible, I, I used to get in fights with clients and, and men's groups. And I was just, that's what I, I become way more skillful, but I wasn't really looking at why was I saying something? What was my intention? Yeah. You know, in saying like, you know, you're late for group. And uh, there was an underlying, what the F is wrong with you? Right, right, right. There was a little blame tinge in there. Yes. I, I would suggest more than a little, you know, if I'm being <laughs> honest with myself and then I you know, get reactions back, you know, from that. And I was always kind of good at kind of working through problems, you know, in a way so somehow I was able to maintain relationships, but it was more difficult. Yeah. You know, so if you're actually going like, you know, what do I really want? Do, do I really want what's best, you know, for this person? Am I seeing some uh, weakness in them? And because of my own unresolved or unmetabolized issues, somehow poking that weakness in a way that's not helpful. And, and it could be quite the contrary. Yeah. And so for me to really look at, there's a part of me as opposed to all of me. Mm -hmm. who can be hostile and to be aware of that you know puts you know puts me in a position to not have to act on it yeah and I, and I think that in general when people have a more expansive view of that their own complexity that we have different aspects to it we have pro-social aspects and we have kind of anti-social right aspects right and the more we're willing to be aware of those without trying to get rid of them, but just like, okay, that's that's there. And that's a yeah. part of me, but I don't have to act on that. That's right. You know, the, the whole, you know, what's cool is I didn't, I didn't plan to bring up this next piece. It's kind of organically coming up, which is great. You know, you know the role of silence in communication, you know, it, uh, I think there, it, I, last I checked, Recently, there's a bit of research looking at the role of silence, but not a lot. Um, and then there's my own experience with it as a clinician and a daily communicator. Um, I was reading somewhere recently about how, like in the corporate world, the leadership literature, there's a lot of talk about using silence, you know, you know, to to get an effect. And, you know. I think it can be used in a way that those parts that are aggressive or hostile will use it as a weapon. And then that, you know, right. immediately is going to impact the other versus what um, uh, Roshi Joan uh, Halifax calls, you know, warm, compassionate silence. And to, to be, and I, that's what I, you know, that timing piece I was referencing, right? You just, you develop this skillfulness that allows for a waiting as you're aware of those parts saying jump in 
and sometimes as a therapist, just waiting a beat or two longer than your conditioning was nudging you toward, then the other person starts to offer something that is very real and very important. Yeah, I don't I don't think we as psychologists and you know just people in general, we don't talk enough about silence. <laughs> That's a really good point. I, there, there was the the wise ass part of me that thought about not si just sitting here in silence after you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been cool. <laughs> kind of give away your joke. It would have been like a Zen koan for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually, it's funny because I I do think humor and just lightness is is a really important part of the work which you know, I'm, i'll come back to the silence yeah. and, but just the you take things so seriously and actually even my men's groups like we do a lot of laughing yeah there and just connecting through humor play play is a really important part of connection i i don't think psychology gives play enough play you know mm -hmm. in, in general and and I, and I agree with you in terms of silence i really haven't i don't know any of the research on silence you know, but I imagine part of it really has to do with your one's own ability to sit with oneself. Yeah. To sit with and in oneself. And when you feel start feeling anxious, and some people like, you know, I, I, I'm generally pretty good with silence, like I don't have to jump in. But I've had clients who's like, you know, why are we staring at each other? <laughs> right, right. I said, what does staring mean to you? We're just kind of staring. So what comes? I don't go around that. It's you know because I noticed for me, just working with my own anxiety, you know, around silence and that that kind of compulsive. Are we okay? Yes. You know, versus kind of like you know sitting in that. And I do think that sitting practice, you know, absolutely contributes to one's ability, you know, to to be silent when not have to talk. Yeah. I, I can I can say that it has been a work in progress for me I've noticed a lot of shift over the years around my own ability to abide silence um, if someone is in a painful place like that has a sad or grieving or um, they're just stuck you know, and, you know, silence for me in those moments has gotten a lot easier. What I still am finding challenging at times is what I would call the other in an agitated, anxious place where they are kind of spiraling and their volume is coming up. Maybe it's like the beginnings of a panic attack. Maybe it's just this highly distorted in my you know my perception very you know angsty anxiety i find myself wanting to jump in and you know my recollection of many moments of doing that particularly with patients over the years is that it often leads to more agitation versus somehow being able to stay and to not do that right on. you know I, I think about in physics the term morphic resonance you know which is you know the, the idea not just the idea the reality that when physicists uh will perturbate the term for an electron you know in a particular uh -huh. area 
another electron which is has not been moving so it's moving along with it yes you know and i i think about how that relates to emotional contagion you know that emotion emotions are contagious and so in that particular case your client's you know uh anxiety would naturally as a sensitive human being start activating your own right you know, and you start resonating you know in that way and they're like, i don't want to feel this way let's not feel this way. you know and so yes it turns into a survival issue and you know we we all as human animals or human animals as i like to call us you know, go into survival pretty easily you know as as it turns out that's what anxiety is about you know essentially yeah. the survival you know instrument so to speak of the, of the human human brain and so to notice one's own anxiety and be okay with that. And like, I mean, that's where I think that the parts perspective or complexity, you know, is so important where you can really, hey, talking to oneself, I notice there's a part of me that's feeling anxious now. Take a breath, breathing, it's okay. It's like that kind of self-talk to, to just, and, and the thing is that person, I think unconsciously is looking at you as a stabilizing force. Yes. You can really sit with yourself and not be freaking out about they're freaking out. You know, then they get this kind of meta message that it's not that bad. And 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 what I have experienced increasingly, still work in progress, is the times when I as a therapist and you know with others have been able to do what you just said, kind of see that part and stay with it and surf it a bit. <laughs> That's the way I like to think of it, right? Um, or as one of my indirect guru, I have a, a portrait of him over here on my wall, Bruce Lee, the martial artist. If I can be like water with that, you know, that agitation that's getting stirred. Um, there can be moments of like another part that is more certain and confident and able to lean in can come forward. And, and then my, I found myself like leaning in, but still soft. There's like, it's still a softness, a compassion. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Mm -hmm. The voice drops. There's a soothing still, but yet there's a, what I would call a leadership. I like that when that shows up, you know, that, that is, that can be really helpful to me and to them. I think. I'll t tell you, Mitch, when you just share that, just now I got a little teary. Mm. Something in that, in your, your beautiful expression, you know, of that, that just really touched me. Well, that's cool. That's cool. We don't talk about these things enough in general, people in general and well, I think you and I are experiencing because you sharing that with me matters to me greatly. You know, that uh, we need to have this dance of authenticity as people or, el or else as a species, we're screwed. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think the authenticity that includes how we're moved by each other. Yes. You know, and touch them. You know, I know for me in my work, I'm. I think part of what's allowed me to really go deep with people and 
and, and really kind of touch into the ways that they're not self-accepting or self-accepting. You know, is is to say, like I said to a client yesterday, I said, you know, you're you're at core, you're a very caring person, you know, and and I believe that. I'm not just saying that you're a very caring person, and there's a part of you that can get very cold. Mm. You know, and so that when that cold part comes up, in some ways, it's kind of like the clouds that obscure the sun. So it's hard to tell that there's actually a sun there when that's when that's you know in place. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he he totally got it with you know, relation issue with his wife. You want to say something? Please? Yeah, I totally do. I'm I'm gonna riff off that. That's very. Oh. That resonates with me, which is a word, by the way, that resonates with me. You know, you talk about the electrons, you know, or if you bring out a Tibetan singing bowl, you know, there's a lot of examples in physics of like resonance of variables kind of you know, gelling together, you know, but uh, that way that you said that, you know, that the and that very kind of loving, compassionate, direct statement around a strength or something that you're vibing with in the, in the other person and then sliding organic and there's this cloud that comes over you that's very different from what most people hear in a lot of trainings and workshops around you know doing feedback sandwiches with employees right you, you start with the good thing you know get put the negative in and then you know followed up with a, a good thing because people just hear a but yeah, in there exactly. and by the way in terms of that <clears throat> the research on feedback sandwiches is not compelling i mean it's, it's i wouldn't do it you know for sure it's, it comes across as disingenuous so someone's yeah. kind of come up with you know something like that versus something that's you know more real that someone can actually resonate you know with yeah. Yeah, the, the way I've liked to describe it is what really can work, you know, is something that I, you know, uh, it's part of what I call prizing another person. It's like this totally authentic communication where you're not, you know, trying to make them do anything. You're speaking the truth of what your experience is in interaction with them. And, you know, in there and prizing someone, not, you know, it's not going to sound like praise, it can be a compassionate dope slap. <laughs> now you may you may want to tell people what that means exactly. <laughs> You're not touching not them per se. Yeah. yeah, what's he saying here? He yeah, yeah, yeah. Slap me. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's the lean in without the agenda that they have to be or do anything. You know, there's a certain agendalessness when this really clicks and resonates because you you've uh you've you've surfed your stuff enough you've experienced whatever you got triggered and then you're you're speaking from for lack of really good words you're speaking from a, a presence with that person an authentic presence and yet it feels important to say it because it's there and and you say i see this i experience this and i you know i've said to people you you could put caveats in like i could be wrong it's my experience and i'm going to i'm i'm offering this 
you know, you know, I, as I'm sure I've said on the podcast before, you know, I've worked a lot with teens with, you know, and younger kids with emotional behavioral challenges. And many times I've done that lean in and I'm going to, you know, let go of them saying or doing anything in the next moment. But it can be like, dude, you're, you're kind of shitting all over things. And I wonder if it has to be that way. Because I see something different as possible. And yet I can't control that. If you're curious, let me know. I'll tell you more what I'm thinking. But that, that kind of, it's like a feelback versus feedback. I like that feelback. I mean, part of what's important about what, what you're sharing to me, Mitch, <clears throat> is that you end with a possibility. Yeah. You know, I see something bigger in you than perhaps you're seeing in yourself. I yeah. do see some of the stuff, the defensiveness is kind of like the shitting kind of thing. Yeah. I see your defensiveness. And I also recognize that there is something that's bigger behind that. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, getting back to the sun, you know, metaphor, you know, that that's, I, I see that in you. And, you know, you, you know, it's your choice, you know, on some level, you know, what you breathe into. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've viewed it as, uh, for some years now, as this, you know, it has some stages to it, this communication dynamic. You can't lockstep do it, but it's like a dance that you can flow through, but it starts with presence. And then you kind of, as you're really mindfully, authentically engaged with the other, you kind of, um, you know, you know, the way I like to say it, you can kind of see behind their behavior, you can feel behind their behavior. Some might call that empathy. There's all we don't have time to get into it. There's all kinds of research that empathy can be a problem. I would call it more compassion. Exactly. Yeah. And and in that compassion, there's a an immediate like reframing of their defensive behavior. And then there's what I call the zero point that you kind of drop into where you're not going to try and force anything this is where my martial arts background is useful. You know, it's like, you know, it's like uh, emotional Aikido or judo. And then that statement, the compassionate dope slap or the, the truth talking, whatever you want to call it, it comes, you know, toward that, that bigger frame. Um, and then you let go and that can be really you know, when it's done toward me, when I've experienced that, you know, it's powerful. It's powerful. And so, you know, and I had a mentor in graduate school, who's the one that gave me the term prizing. And I, you know, you know, he was that way with me. And it really planted a lot of seeds. That's beautiful. That's a, uh, thank you. That's a beautiful story, Mitch. Yeah. And I, I I like the way this, this prizing, I had never actually heard it that way because you know, normally prizing is a noun, prize is a noun. Yeah. You, you win a prize, but prizing is a verb, you know, and, and so it's a process. Verbs are always processes. Yeah. You know, and how you, how you are, you know, in relationship. If you see someone like, oh, this is a prize I'm going to win. There's something that makes it kind of static, you know, yeah. instead of state. 
you know, as if, okay, I, I, you know, I, I've gotten her or I've gotten him, I want, right. I've, I've accomplished, right. you know, versus that it's a way of living, you know, it's a way of orienting, you know, to the world, toward oneself, you know, prizing oneself, prizing, you know, other people, yeah. being aware of that and really looking for that. I think that we do tend to, to find what we're seeking. And I think mm-hmm. that one of the hardest things to recognize about being a human being is that we don't see the world the way it is. Mm. I mean, which of course is not totally true. We can see the world in some ways the way it is, but we also see the world the way we are. Right. You know, the world looks very different depending on one's mood and really depending on one's own kind of self-evolution. You know, yeah. there. You know I, I think about you know, how to overcome hatred, you know, for example. And I will say that there is a part of me that can be very hateful. And it doesn't tend to come up in personal relationships for me anymore, occasionally, but very rarely. It yeah, comes yeah. up for me politically. I'm not yes. going to go very deeply into where I can feel right. my, just the, my anger and this, this energy that comes out. And I get to keep working with that because part of my own path, and it's, it's um, been a painful part of my own existence is, is feeling as much hatred as I have. Yeah. You know, and, 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 it touches, <clears throat> it touches into my real, my own vulnerability because, you know, in the deepest ways I want to love you know, and yeah. I feel like I am in a lot of ways. And then that part of me can come up and it's like, it can be very gripping. You know, we, we oftentimes talks about, talk about the power of emotions. Emotions are not nearly as powerful as moods. moods. Well, I, I've never heard anyone say that in that way before. That, that really strikes me, Daniel. And it also strikes me how you just right in front of me, experience that painful aspect around how the political world has stoked that in you and and yet you surfed it and i surfed in part because of my you know the people in my life you know i I think about like like james barris who is a spirit rock teacher is a buddhist teacher great great teacher yeah and I've talked to him about this on numerous occasions about exactly this, about you know, hatred, yeah. you know, about kind of overcoming and just what you hate and recognizing that really what's underneath people who are doing things that are violent, vile, you know, you can add a, a bunch of different adjectives to that and, you know, generally ignorance, right? you know, and to recognize, oh, wow, they're just, they're actually ignorant. Yeah. Now, and then you could say that from a superior place, holder, I'm, I'm smarter, right. more involved than they are. You know, you can uh, do it from a more contemplative, more aware place. And I'm like, oh, that's what's happening. And so like letting go of the fight, you know, and, yeah. and, and seeing that the fights always are generated from within, you know, with different aspects, you know, that are kind of vying for power right over the other and those get you know brought into the world you know the way it is i oftentimes think that whatever uh intrapersonal conflicts a person have will come out interpersonally yep 
for sure. You know, the uh, I was working with a couple recently, Daniel, and I talked about how I noted that the husband seemed as though he did not want to again touch the hot stove. And he assumed I meant, I think what most people would mean that the stove is, you know, his wife's behavior. And I said, you know, it's really more the burner is in you. Right. Right. But yeah, I think, I think that's what you're saying, which is just so important. You know, we, we are the reaction in that moment. And that yet it's not, as you said in the beginning, very important. It's not who we truly are. It's not who we wholly are. And, hey, and to, be able to look at that and to be able to look at that without shame, because with shame, it's impossible to look at that. Yes. Yes. Hey, Daniel, we could keep riffing for a while. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> You know, I, I want to wrap this up. Thank you so much for for joining me for this really cool kind of being like water conversation. This was awesome. Right on. Truly a, a pleasure being with you, Mitch. And I, right. I mean that sincerely. And, and I mean that back. Yes, very much. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of The Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review. Such feedback is not only great to hear, um, it also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned. More episodes, some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.